Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 76th episode, and I'm here after the United States Grand Prix. Austin, Texas hosted another packed weekend of racing at the Circuit of Americas. But before we get to that CODA action first, a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, Breakbys Twitter, and TikTok. It has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Now let's talk about the first sprint weekend F1 has had on American soil. Well, we're getting into this Circuit of the Americas review, and I think it's important to note that I am here following the disqualifications of Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton from Sunday's Grand Prix. So all this review is, of course, with that in mind. But why don't we get straight into that then first off. So after each race, cars are always checked by the FIA scrutineers to make sure no cheating is going on and that All the cars are in compliance with the many rules and technical regulations that F1 has, um, of course, to monitor cheating and uh, for safety reasons as well. Plenty of the uh, rules and regulations are on safety grounds. Four cars were checked at random after the race, and those four belonged to Hamilton, Leclerc, Norris, and Verstappen. Doesn't seem too random, um, but... Those were the four that were checked. One of the checks is a physical floor and plankware inspection. And my understanding is that the plankware rule has always existed, or at least it has since planks were introduced in like the 80s or something. Um, But that rule was made more stringent last year, mostly due to lobbying from Mercedes. Um, And, you know, without getting super technical, the FAA found that... uh, The Mercedes of Hamilton and the Ferrari of Leclerc had excessive wear on their planks, resulting in a pretty much automatic disqualification from the race. Um, It's actually pretty straightforward um, if you want to look into the actual, you know, rules or the uh, article in the rules and regulations. Uh, I don't think that interests too many people, though. Uh, But I think a lot of questions have, have come from this. And, you know, that is, you know, how did this happen? And, you know, why were only four cars checked, right? Um, Because I think a lot of people would assume that uh, George Russell and Carlos Sainz, you know, the teammates of these two drivers who were were disqualified could have easily also been illegal and they got away with it. Well, the answer to the first question uh, as to how this happened is twofold. Both uh, Ferrari and Mercedes noted that uh, in their responses or their reactions to this disqualification that they miscalculated their ride heights due to a lack of practice. You know, only one FP1 session on a Friday. So 60 minutes that the teams get to really test their cars before they're locked under park Fermi conditions the moment that they set a lap time in qualifying. Um, and then also, you know, the circuit of Americas was very bumpy this year, even bumpier than it usually is. And it's normally a very bumpy track and it was very visible for the spectators, especially, uh, I think the Ferrari on the back straight was just bobbing up and down like aggressively. So you could really see how bumpy the circuit was. So both of those things combined, you know, 
posed the same challenge for everyone. So it is actually likely that, you know, other cars were also not in compliance with the rules. But like I said, it was the same for everyone. And the bottom line is that Mercedes and Ferrari broke, you know, those rules with their cars. Um, So yes, it's hard to say who else would have been disqualified had they made the checks. Of course, we'll never know. But a lot of people presume that it likely would have been the case for Russell and Sainz. So to the other part of the question, why weren't their cars checked? Well, I think that's because F1 not only moves fast on the track, it moves very fast off of it as well. While these cars, um, you know, are called in for their routine checks, the rest of the teams are packing up their equipment to get freighted off to the next race as soon as they can, especially when it's a triple header or at least, you know, the next weekend, um, they're already having to be, you know, set up in Mexico in a couple days. They they want to get out of there as soon as possible, not to mention, um, I'm sure all the teams would love to have their work done so they can celebrate um or at least, you know, unwind after a uh, busy weekend. So keep all that in mind. And, you know, you can also see evidence of that watching any post-race show too. Uh, you know, if you watch the Sky Sports show, for example, by the at the beginning, you know, the paddock is absolutely buzzing around them. You know, it's frantically moving back and forth. And you can see team members and drivers uh, walking around in the background and of course fans and people with paddock access and other journalists and all sorts of people but by the end only like an hour later it's like a ghost town behind them and uh, it often is seen the that no one is really around and that's because everyone i mean it seems like they've left the track that's of course not the case a lot of people of course have um but it's just because they're all grinding away trying to you know leave the leave the circuit so you know long story short here the cars are already you know packed up by the time the FIA made their conclusions like it took hours for them to disqualify Lewis and Charles hours so imagine if they did that with all 20 cars you know so basically let's say it took them four hours to do all the checks on the four cars that they did check multiply that by five because that's how many more cars they would have had to check so that would just take far too long. They would have to get more scrutineers potentially if they wanted to go down that route. But um, I feel like the random check of only doing four and, you know, being making it an automatic disqualification if they're not within the rules is already enough of a deterrent to, you know, not cheat because you have a one in five chance of, of getting disqualified. Um, and that's already enough for the teams, I feel like. Not to mention the bad PR that comes with a disqualification. Um, if it happens, you know, few and far between, then no one's going to be like, oh, Mercedes are a bunch of cheaters. But if you frequently try to get away with it and just get disqualified again and again, then, of course, that does become an issue. Um, so, yeah, of course, it's a shame for Mercedes and for Ferrari. Um, I would say it's especially a shame for fans of Lewis and Mercedes, like myself, who, for one, want to keep P2 in the constructors, but two, also want Lewis to catch Checo in the Drivers' Championship, not to mention Lewis had a great performance, was only a second and a half off the lead at one point, I think ended up being two, 2.1 seconds off in the end. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty massive swing 
in that driver's championship, um, almost arguably sealing it for Checo, which is great news for Red Bull, of course, because that is the one thing that they wanted. They've never had a one-two in the driver's championship, or sorry, the well, yeah, yeah, in the driver's championship, never had a one-two, and uh, I think they really love to achieve that. So um, with this disqualification and Lewis's DNF in Qatar, it seems like Checo may have wrapped that up. However, Lewis doesn't seem to care too much about that. It seems he actually, you know, um, didn't like he was pretty graceful in his. Uh, reaction statement um you know he said they had good pace this weekend he was feeling great in the car feels it was uh, a positive weekend especially with mercedes bringing that new floor to the circuit of the americas uh he adds that of course there's a level of disappointment but it doesn't take away from the progress the team made as for leclerc i've not been able to find a reaction from him specifically i'm sure we'll get something in Mexico, Tom Clarkson or whoever he's in the media pen, someone will ask him about the disqualification for sure to get an official statement from Charles. But there is an interesting quote from Ferrari sporting director Diego Laverno. He says, quote, with hindsight, rewinding the weekend, we may have lifted even more the car, but would have lost performance and we are here to optimize our own performance. So my takeaway from that quote is that Ferrari knowingly pushed the limits of the ride height. To be fair, though, as any team would, of course, they're going to try to, you know, get the most performance out of their car within the legal limits. So, of course, they knowingly pushed those limits, didn't foresee the track being as bumpy as it was, and maybe, you know, with higher fuel loads in the race than what they practiced with in FP1, just slightly underestimated the wear the plank would take. And, uh, that's that lines up with Mercedes's explanation as well. So, yeah, that's it. Anyway, that's the disqualification part of the weekend covered. Let's talk about the action now, shall we? Because despite a bad qualifying performance from Red Bull on Friday, with Max starting in P6 for the Sunday's race and Checo in P9, Max still managed to win and top all of the other sessions despite, you know, complaining frequently about some issues with the car, especially the brakes during the race. So, again, just major, major props to Max Verstappen and Red Bull here. Another beautifully, you know, optimized weekend despite issues. I do think those issues hampered Max for sure. Um, and he may have even been a little bit more dominant, had his car been working to his liking. Um, and I will say I do think... You know, the other teams have started to make some steps uh, while Red Bull is currently standing still. And, you know, they have the championships wrapped up and they haven't been developing this car at all. So I do think teams are making steps. Um, but, you know, Max is just a driver making no mistakes right now. They're a team who always puts their drivers on the best strategies and they have a pit crew that is always dialed in. Things I've said countless times in this podcast. Like, for example, Red Bull had a slow stop of 3.3 seconds. But that's like the average stop for Mercedes. When Lewis came in and he had a 3.4, I think it was because Lewis had gone in a little bit deep on his marks. But still, like, no one bats an eye at a Mercedes 3.4 second pit stop. Like, that's basically just what they do all the time. And it is it is kind of infuriating. Um, and the other closest competitor, McLaren, you know, seems to have that part handled. Like, their pit crew has been pretty on fire recently. But then they had the wrong tires set aside for the race, and that significantly hampered Lando's progress when he uh, put the hard tires on for the last stint instead of the mediums. So, 
Yeah, I mean, they they backed themselves into that corner before the race had started. So just for those who thought that, you know, maybe they should have put the medium on, that's why they just, they didn't have the right tires set aside. Um, but another deserving win for Red Bull and Max Verstappen for sure. I think Despeco, uh, Despeco. I think despite Checo's, I put those words together, uh, despite Checo's futile efforts and quality, um, he did have a decent race that was compromised slightly by a poor final stint. Um, I think Red Bull expected a little bit more, maybe for him to catch Carlos Sainz, um, but that did not happen. Uh, however, it was wild to see Max on the podium getting booed by Checo fans. Like you could hear during the Dutch anthem, like loud chants coming from the fans, Checo, Checo, Checo. It was crazy. I've never heard chants that loud, like at a driver on the podium, like during their anthem. Like usually people are pretty quiet during the anthem because I feel like that's kind of the respectful thing to do. <laughs> but Checo fans just do not care. They were going hard for for their hometown hero because, of course, Checo does get a lot of uh, Mexican support in Austin course he will be the main uh driver getting the support next weekend and i can't wait for that but on to that later let's talk about mercedes first most importantly forget about you know the disqualification the question i think on a lot of people's mind before there was ever any discussion about lewis getting disqualified was that was it a missed opportunity for mercedes and for lewis could he have got the win and to cover all the important parts here, um, I think we have to first talk about the floor upgrade, what it was, it was expected to do, and what happened on the track. So I'll clear this up right away first. If you are thinking this, the new floor is not illegal. The DQ has nothing to do with the floor, actually. I mean, it's just how high the floor was off the ground, which is set by, you know, suspension and, and whatnot, not the floor. So... This new floor was not going to be this massive performance gain either, although I know a lot of people know by now that these regulations, um, because of the ground, the, yeah, like the floor is the most important part and downforce, uh, uh, I can't think of the word, generator, downforce generator of the car, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be this massive performance uh uh, gain. It was supposed to be, you know, more of an indicator for a direction that they want to go with the 2024 car, which is going to be extremely important. Technical director James Allison uh, with Mercedes, of course, has recently stated, you know, 2024 is going to be crucial, not only because they want to fight for the championship, but because there won't be a whole lot of in-season development on the 2025 car, because that season's going to be spent on the new 2026 reg. So they'll want to get 2024 right because then they can just, you know, make a similar, more evolved version of the 2024 car in 25 and then not worry about the 25 car at all during 25. So, you know, they're already starting to look ahead a few years. And it's been a long few years on Lewis's side of the garage complaining about the lack of feeling for the rear of the car. Um, you know, this was the first time Lewis says all year that he's actually had a feeling for the rear, especially through those fast bits in sector one, like you, you definitely want to feel the rear of the car through there. And, you know, he was pretty happy with it this weekend. And I think even if the upgrade brought, you know, zero performance at all, 
the fact that he was able to give one of the drivers confidence, um, because George did seem like he was quite off the pace this weekend, a bit puzzling, considering you know he was sort of starting to gather some momentum in the fight with Lewis, although I guess George doesn't love the circuit of the Americas. But anyway, the fact that they were able to give some confidence to one of their drivers, I think, is a performance game because Lewis was obviously able to get more out of himself. Um, but anyway, with Lewis P3 on the grid and George further back in P8 with Verstappen between them and P6, it looked like Lewis could challenge for the win, especially because the pace actually looked really promising. Um, however, looking into the pace a little bit more, if you remember back to Singapore, what hurt the Red Bull there was the bumps. And we know that Red Bull generates the most downforce from their floor and they were in compliance with the rules. I believe that considering what Ferrari said about their performance, had they raised the ride height a little bit, that this may have artificially closed the pace gap a little bit between Mercedes and Red Bull. Not to mention the issues Max was managing throughout the race. So I think those things, you know, Red Bull having to raise their ride height to be within the rules and the brake issues that Max was having that that brought down Red Bull a peg or two. And, you know, with Mercedes breaking the rules marginally, I think it probably gave Mercedes a tenth maybe. That's probably at most just a little bit of a slight edge. I think it's more so what it did to Red Bull to bring them down. Um, that was more significant. Yet all that considered, Mercedes still couldn't get the race win done. And I think that was for three reasons. The first and probably least significant reason for, you know, Lewis not being able to win the race was the start. Um, you know, Max gained a position, Lando gave, gained a position, and Lewis lost a position. You know, ending up two seconds behind the race win on a fresh tire offset, you know, means that losing a couple seconds at the beginning behind slower Ferraris could have made a difference. And, you know, that's not to mention his competitors Lando and Max also made up time with their starts so I think that was definitely a factor and then reason number two and number three are both related they happened at the same time and you can even argue that um, the well it's the mistakes from Mercedes and Lewis I guess I should say that first they're the obvious ones and you could argue that the team's mistake was you know actually um, the causation for Lewis's mistake um, so the team's mistake was definitely more costly, uh, and that was to not cover Max Verstappen's undercut. And, you know, they pitted Lewis a couple or a few laps after his main competitors losing significant time, uh, versus Max Verstappen on the medium tire while he was on his old mediums. Like it was three seconds in one lap in in one lap. Like that is ridiculous and then instead of pulling uh, Lewis in the moment they, they realized you know Verstappen was flying on his medium and Lewis was struggling instead of just boxing him one lap later and still going for it then they were like Lewis can you get a couple more laps out of this tire uh, they asked George the same question to try and help with Lewis's strategy and they both thought maybe there's a chance I mean Russell was more sure of himself than than Lewis was for sure. However, um, instead of, you know, just aborting that one-stop chance right away, they gave it a couple more laps, lost a lot more time, and then Lewis ended up coming out just 
a little bit too far behind Lando and Max. And he was basically playing catch up the rest of the time, even though he he made up a ton of time at the end. You know, Lewis was catching Max at a rate of knots there. It just didn't matter at all because the DQ in the end, of course. And uh, like the old saying is uh, catching is one thing, but passing is another. So even if Lewis started to get to the rear of Max, I'm sure his old mediums would have started to degrade as well. And they may have fallen off again. So I'm not sure even if there were a few more laps that they would have got it done. The real mistake was they didn't know about Max's issues with the brakes and whatnot. So they thought they had to do something different if they had any chance to beat Max. But in the end, they actually may not have. If Lewis just kept track position, he, I think, definitely could have won the race. So, or at least given them a better chance. Um, So, yeah, unfortunate, but... I think it's inconclusive. It's not like we know for a fact that Lewis would have won. But maybe it's better off that they didn't win because that would have been all the more heartbreaking had Lewis been disqualified from the win. Could you imagine F1 Twitter if Lewis had won the race and then he had been disqualified? Oh, my God. And not to mention, I feel like y'all listening would have had to send a wellness check for me because I may have been real down bad if that was the case. Um, Now... Let's quickly go over McLaren and Ferrari, um, starting with, I guess, the team that got their driver a P2 finish in the end. They got to start with McLaren, right? Um, I think they were expecting less this weekend from themselves than in Qatar and Suzuka. Well, not I think, I know. They, they said it themselves. And as was I, I think they were still rapid in the fast corners of Sector 1, as expected. Um but the hot temps still held them back a bit. Uh, I know they were really bad in turn 11, like shockingly bad. That was that left-hand corner that sets uh, the drivers onto the back straight. Um, Every single time, McLaren would be maybe a little bit faster than Mercedes through that first uh, sector, and then uh, they would go onto the back straight, and and Lewis in his Mercedes would gain like four tenths just out of the traction zone onto onto the straight. Like it was crazy just how bad McLaren was there. It was kind of shocking for just a great car to be just so bad in one area, but that was really costing them for sure, especially that's a main overtaking and defending spot. So yeah, overall, I still see this weekend as a positive for McLaren. You know, it's pretty impressive to be disappointed with a P3 or P2 even. Um, I will say though, it did seem that Piastri was quite a bit off of Lando's pace here. Um, that may have been a little bit just to do with the lack of practice. Only one FP1 session for a rookie who has never driven here before. Um, and in Piastri's defense, I guess we also didn't get to see what he could do in the Grand Prix because of the lap one collision he had with Ocon that gave them both side pod damage. And really, I know I always give my thoughts on uh, collisions and stuff when I can. And there really isn't a whole lot to say about this one. It was just a pretty standard lap one collision I don't think anyone is really at fault um I think it was the Alpine that drifted out a little bit wide Piastri didn't have anywhere to go but it's a tricky corner too um so yeah I I I my thoughts are pretty lame on this one I think it was just an unfortunate incident um and it's a shame that it you know took them both out of the race however that's what happens sometimes in racing I guess so tough one for Oscar hopefully he can bounce back in Mexico moving on to Ferrari before our final topic 
Leclerc was on pole position again, which basically means that it was a guaranteed Max Verstappen win from Friday. Um, you know, I guess I should explain that joke for those who do not understand what I'm saying. Max Verstappen has more wins from Leclerc on pole than Leclerc has wins from Leclerc on pole. So take that in. Leclerc's pole to win conversion ratio is atrocious and it just gets ever worse in the Max Verstappen era. Um, but Leclerc back on pole, very quick in qualifying. He definitely seems to have a bit of that mojo back ever since that Suzuka Ferrari upgrade, which is nice to see. Um, but it did seem in the race that the old tire dag issues on the Ferrari started to rear its ugly head, you know, within a few laps, their times were just falling off that of Lewis Lando and Max, you know, evidenced by the 19 sprint laps where Leclerc lost 17 seconds to Verstappen. That is pretty shocking so what's even more shocking though arguably is that ferrari knew this they knew their tires were not going to do well and they opted to put their man on pole on a one-stop strategy and then just commit to it despite seeing it fail on the mercedes and and seeing it well fail on their own car too but then they just decided to instead of you know right their wrong just steer into the skid and it did not work out for them at all that left Leclerc vulnerable to not only his teammate, but Sergio Perez and almost George Russell as well. George Russell within a second uh, to cro- crossing the line behind Leclerc. Of course, that also didn't matter because he was disqualified in the end, but some pretty shocking strategy from Ferrari. And I will say, even though it was a weekend that Carlos Sainz was clearly off of the pace of Charles Leclerc, which... Um, has started to go back that way, like since the Suzuka upgrade, as I mentioned before. Um, I think Sainz had a pretty clean weekend. I mean, for a driver who was maybe playing second fiddle to his teammate, um, you know, he ended up coming home with a podium, or it was a it was a P4 before that. He still finished ahead because he was on the better strategies too, but um he was on the soft during the spin, sprint, managed that, you know, mistake well, and uh, had a pretty strong race too. So props to Carlos Sainz for a well-deserved podium, I guess, even though he wasn't quite on the pace here. So that's what uh, good second drivers do. Not that Carlos wants to be a second driver, but you know what I mean? I, th- I really do think Carlos kind of is the ultimate second driver. Him next to Max Verstappen, I think, would be good. Um, but anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Um, I will say that Ferrari was better than I expected in qualifying, but they were about where I had them in the race. I mentioned in the preview episode that I didn't think that Coda would be a Ferrari track. Um, so that's kind of all I wanted to mention on the teams. I know I could get into Aston Martin for sure. You know, Williams had a special weekend, Haas brought a big upgrade, but I think the more, you know, pressing topic right now is all about the sprints in general. Um, so I will get into some more teams in the prize demise and surprise segment. So let's get this, these discussions about the future of the sprints, um, out of the way. Um, because I think most people felt that the sprint was pretty underwhelming this weekend. Um, I had a pretty good track as well. You know, there were battles and, Um, I think the racing at Coda can be fantastic at times through some of the sections, especially um, through the twisty bit uh, at the end of the back straight through there into the uh, big uh, right-hand corner. 
I love that section for racing. I think it's uh, really interesting, and drivers can take some really uh, cool lines through there. Um, but a lot of the teams, drivers, pundits, had things to say about this weekend sprint race and just sprints as a whole with another underwhelming one, right? So I think the sprint's biggest critic has been Max Verstappen, and he had some more stuff to say. He did win his sixth sprint race of his career, though, by the way. He told the media, though, that he finds that the sprints, quote, you know, take away from the magic of waking up on the Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon and you turn on the TV and you had qualifying, but you're not sure which car is going to be the quickest. And here I have to agree with Max. Um, You know, several other people made comments and uh, essentially agreeing with him as well. Um, But I have to agree with Max. I think the traditional format works because, you see, you see practice and you can never look into practice too, too much. Um, the qualifying simulations can be sort of on, uh, on par. And then we go to qualifying and maybe it's a little bit close to what we saw in practice, but things always happen. And some teams are never showing their true pace. Some people don't put laps together. Some drivers really do put laps together. Sometimes the conditions are completely different and it's completely unknown. But when you run a sprint race and, you get to a certain point in any stint or any race really that things start to neutralize and pretty much no matter what, that is sort of the pace of the team. Um, And the sprint just kind of gives away that information before we get to the most exciting event, which is the Grand Prix. So when you see, you know, all the, all the teams stabilize and just basically get into the, get into their stints during a sprint race, you know, okay, oh, look, Ferrari is starting to kind of fall off in the race. Oh, um, Williams is actually starting to make up some time. Um, you know that's kind of going to happen again tomorrow, and it kind of takes away from that unknown. So I think Max nailed it spot on there. Um, but essentially what's apparent is that the sprint is still not really working. So I think the question is, what should Formula 1 do? And I don't have that answer, but I think someone who might is actually one of the drivers, and that is Carlos Sainz, who has, uh, you know, mentioned this idea, not actually that recently, he mentioned it a while ago, of this reverse championship grid order. So, or I think I said that wrong, reverse championship order grid, there we go. So basically, every single sprint race, whether it be three or six, the grid is set by the reverse of the championship order. So, this year, right now, the championship order is Verstappen, Perez, Hamilton, Alonso, Sainz, Norris, Leclerc, Russell, Piastri, Gasly, Stroll, Ocon. I know I'm saying that way too fast for a podcast for people to really comprehend it, but essentially, Max Verstappen would start P20, Sergio Perez and P19, Lewis Hamilton P18, all the way up to, I guess it would be Daniel Ricciardo and Logan Sargent. That would be the front row of the sprint, and we run the 19 laps at Coda as you know, as is, and the same amount of points go to the drivers and whatnot, but it's in a reverse championship order, and it would create not only great racing, but it would also actually, uh, you know, give those teams um, at the bottom something to fight for, because when Logan Sargent, you know, qualifies P20 in the sprint shootout, and then has to battle in a sprint race where he has absolutely no chance of making it into the top eight, and it's not for grid positions or anything. What are you fighting for? There's not enough time. 
And you would have to hope for a miracle to be able to make it into that. You know, you can try what you want to try at the start. But then after, you know, like I said, the, the sprint race kind of, you know, neutralizes and, and um, ever, or I should, or stabilized, I should say, um, there's really nothing to fight for. And you might as well just get some learning in while you can and uh, make it to the end and not, you know, wreck your car because there's just nothing to fight for. So the reverse championship order grid would solve that issue and I think just make things a lot more interesting for the fans and I think another kind of someone who caught wind of this idea has actually added a separate idea to you know signs format and said that you could even do a separate sprint championship so we have six sprints in a year we do this reverse championship grid order so it's still the championship order of the driver's championship um but then we do this sprint championship whoever gets the most points in the six sprints wins this separate you know new championship um that you know other sports have set precedence for i don't know if i care too much about the sprint championship because i don't think the drivers would and if the drivers don't care then the whole idea is kind of ruined um but it could be interesting and I wouldn't be, you know, opposed to, to trying it out and see what the drivers think about it. However, either way, I do think this reverse grid order, you know, would really um, be exciting and maybe just something new that the drivers would be actually excited to, to race for. Um, so I think that could be the best idea, but I want to try something with you guys. Okay. So I haven't done much fan interaction. So I want you guys that are listening right now to pause this podcast. You know, if you're in the car, then I guess that's not going to work. But, you know, go to the link tree in the description. Please remember to do this because I think this will be really cool if it works out. There's going to be a Google Forms linked into that link tree where you can vote on what you think should happen with the sprint race. It's called break bias question time. And if it works out, then it's going to be a recurring segment on the podcast, a little bit of fan interaction, as I said, and I will be revealing the results of this Google form um, next episode. And we can discuss a little bit more about what, you know, the break bias fans want to see from the sprint race. So there's going to be a few options on there. I believe it is to keep the current uh, format right now with the sprint shootout and then the sprint race on a separate Saturday. Um, you can revert to the original one where we had the qualifying on Friday that set the grid for the sprint. And then the sprint sets the grid for the race. Then the other option is the Carlos signs idea. And then the fourth option is just to put sprints in the bin. So go vote on that form and it'll be really, or at least I'm interested to see what you guys think. And uh, yeah, maybe we can uh, submit something to F1 <laughs> and uh, get them to uh, implement what the brake bias fans want. Uh, so anyway, the results in the Grand Prix were as follows. Max Verstappen got his 50th win in Formula One. Rookie numbers compared to Lewis is what he called it, actually. Uh, so in all seriousness, though, it's insane that he's only one win off of Alan Prost and three um, from Vettel's tally. It is, it is crazy. Um, P2 was Lewis Hamilton on the road, but it was inherited by Lando Norris after the DQ. Carlos Sainz was also bumped up onto the podium for a P3 finish. Then it was Perez who got P4. Leclerc was next across the line after Perez, but his P6 finish now became a P5 for Russell. 
So Gasly then got P6. Stroll returns to the points in P7. His first points since Spa before the summer break. And it's a P7, so a pretty good job from him. Sonoda grabbed a P8 with a fastest lap. Great showing from the AlphaTauri driver. Then it was the Williams pair in P9 and P10. Yes, the Williams pair. That means Logan Sargent has a point in Formula 1. He celebrated from his plane, and that could be crucial for his bid to keep his seat next year. I think he did a pretty good job finishing, I believe, only less than 10 seconds away from Albon. So great job. Logan to do it on uh, on home soil is, is pretty cool for him. So happy for Logan. The driver standings, the top 10 stands. Max Verstappen on 466 points. Then it's Sergio Perez on 240. Lewis Hamilton on 201. It's a 39-point gap now. It was only, I believe, a 19-point gap prior to the DQ. So that is a big, big blow. Um, Then it's Fernando Alonso on 183. So he's almost back in the picture fighting with Lewis. Um, But he did not score this weekend either. So he is now contending with Carlos Sainz, who is only 12 points behind Fernando. Then it's Lando Norris, 159. He is getting right up there, and I honestly think that Lando has a chance at P4 in the championship, which is nuts. Uh, Then it's Charles Leclerc at 151, so he's only eight points behind Lando. That fight's not over. And George Russell down in P8 in the championship. That's That's a tough look right now, and it was even worse before the DQ. So 143 points for him. He is only eight points behind Leclerc, and then a further, you know, eight points, so 16 points behind Lando Norris. That is not over either. Then it's quite a significant drop-off to Oscar Piastri, who scored zero points this weekend. He's on 83. And then rounding out the top 10 is Pierre Gasly, kicking Lance Stroll out of that top 10. Gasly's on 56. Stroll is on 53. Now looking at the constructors, Red Bull at 706. Way further down is Mercedes on 344. They're 22 points ahead of Ferrari at 322. Then McLaren finally catches Aston Martin. They hold a six-point advantage over the green team. So it's 242 for McLaren, 236 for Aston. Alpine cracks the 100 mark. They are exactly on a century, so 100 points for them. Williams now at 26. Then it's Alfa Romeo at 16. Haas at 12. And AlphaTauri doubling their entire total for the year at this race. So they are now at 10. And if Haas finishes last, that is tough (laughs) there's really no other way to put it um Haas has had a pretty dismal second half to this season and they are really under threat now from Alvatari and uh they could easily finish last although I will add that it is great to see every single team in the double digits that is awesome for Formula One the prize demise and surprise now we'll say the prize is Sergio Perez because I think P2 in the championship is huge for his, you know, future. Um, And he pretty much sealed it this weekend. I do think he was actually quietly solid, as I mentioned earlier. Um, But it's more about the big picture here. The fact that he kind of lucked into this situation where Lewis hasn't scored really any major points in the last two races. That is kind of sealing his P2 championship fight. Because I really think... Even ha- even if he was performing better and Lewis was just you know driving the wheels off his car and uh, he did snag P2 in the in the championship, I just feel like the optics of that looks so bad. So um, 
even if Checo has a terrible run and just holds on to P2, I think just being able to do that is going to be just really big for him. So I think looking at the big picture, this was a, a, a big win for Checo. The demise is pretty clear to me. This was Aston Martin's worst weekend in Formula One. It just seems to continue to, to get worse. It's pretty bad when the highlight of their weekend was the low light of their season, and that's Lance Stroll. Um, he actually was pretty solid. Um, and Fernando was having a great comeback drive. So I think starting from the pay lane and making the changes that they did were a positive for their package. But again, they only came away with six points here. Just a really bad showing. And seeing them tremble around in the back is just also just continues to be a bad look for them. So they are my demise. And then the surprise, I don't need to spend too much time on it, but I was shocked on just about how off George Russell was compared to Lewis because, of course, being the Lewis fan that I am, I uh, always want Lewis to finish ahead of George, but I always want George to be there or thereabouts. And he wasn't really there at all. Um, I think Lewis could have used uh, another Mercedes driver that was kind of in the mix, but... He was really nowhere to be found. He said he was a second off the pace at times. So that is really shocking to hear. And I'm hoping that this uh, new direction doesn't just hamper him completely. I will need more um, evidence of that to believe that. I'm going to put it down to this track just not being one of his favorites. So that is it for the USA review. Now let's talk about the Mexican Grand Prix. It's race two of the America's triple header up next, and that is at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And I believe that translates to Rodriguez Brothers Circuit, I believe. Um, that is purely from Breaking Bad, Los Polos, Los Pollos Hermanos, I know was like the Chicken Brothers or something. So I believe Hermanos means brothers. Rodriguez is just a last name, and Autodromo just means circuit. So... The Rodriguez Brothers Circuit. I uh, maybe should have researched the actual significance of that, but I thought it was uh, just a cool little nugget to share uh, my my minimal Spanish knowledge. Um, my thoughts on this track have always been that I'm not really a fan of it, to be honest. Um, I love the vibes. I think the Mexican fans are awesome. I think uh, the people that work in Mexico always have a good time there and always have great things to say about the atmosphere. So I, and by no means am I trying to uh, put the track down. I just am not really a fan of the whole layout, to be honest. So uh, I also don't think it creates very many good races. There are zero memorable uh, events. Um, I think if you're looking back on Mexican Grand Prix, so I think that says a lot about the quality of the track. Um, in 2022, many of you probably have already forgotten what happened there because like I said, it just continues to be not memorable. It looked like it was going to be somewhat of a battle between Verstappen and Hamilton last year that was completely ruined by an extremely conservative strategy from Mercedes for Lewis. Max ran softs from the start and Lewis was keeping up with them pretty well on mediums. But when Max went to those medium tires, Mercedes opted to stay out a little bit longer and then put on hards, not the softs and from there it wasn't close max just drove off into the distance and it was actually more of a question of whether checo was going to catch up and pass lewis so 
Ferrari was also nowhere in this race. It was a straight fight between Red Bull and Mercedes where Mercedes got trounced. So, yeah, Ferrari's by far worst weekend of the year on pace last year. And that was when they were championship challengers. Just a shocking, shocking performance from them. They had their power units turned way down, apparently, too. And this year, I wouldn't expect much different from Ferrari, to be honest. I think that uh, the Ferrari PU does have a pretty big issue with this track. And that's all because of the altitude, which has a pretty big effect on car performance. Um, You know, it's been pretty hard to predict which teams are going to shine this year. But... Uh, Well, except for Red Bull, obviously. But I think I have a pretty good idea of who will be strong here. I believe that McLaren's going to be very quick through the fast S's of Sector 2 into Sector 3. Or maybe it's just Sector 2. I don't know. But the fast S's, if you know the track, there will be good there. But I think most of the rest of the track is going to be more of a Mercedes uh, circuit for sure. Um, Like the the stadium section and uh, parts of Sector 1 and Sector 2 are are seemed are going to be more Mercedes centric, I believe. And uh, with Ferrari having an edge with straight line speed and having that nullified by the high, high altitude, I think is going to also favor Mercedes. So I think this could be Mercedes's best weekend of the year. Red Bull's going to be fine for sure. Um, well, Max will be, but can Checo show out at his home track? Uh, I think it's pretty much the only weekend of the year that I cheer for a Red Bull and honestly, I think I don't think Red Bull's going to have a massive advantage here. And I think the fact that Checo is clearly just struggling with something in the philosophy of the car. It's not a, I don't think it's just a confidence thing anymore. I think the way the car is gone for him is just how it is from now on. I don't think we're going to see this random blip of performance from Checo um, that he's really close to max, um, even at these you know, uh, street circuits, some of these street circuits that we expect maybe Checo to be close on. It just seems like the gap is basically what it is, or it's really bad because Checo is a bad weekend. I don't think there's this magical weekend coming from Checo, unfortunately. Um, so that's really all I got to say on that. And, uh, now let's just go into the prediction then, I guess for qualifying, I have a pole position going to George Russell. Yep, George Russell is going to bounce back big time here. I think Mercedes will be very strong. I think he generally qualifies a little bit better. And I just feel like lately, Lewis has some sort of curse around him. And anytime that Mercedes is there and actually have a chance for a big result, it always seems to be something just goes wrong for him. So I'm going to say his teammate gets pole position here and he will be followed by Max Verstappen and Lando Norris. However, for the race, Max Verstappen is going to get it done. He's going to beat Russell, who is going to finish P2, and then Lewis is going to recover to take a P3 finish. And it's going to be another question of what could have been had Lewis had a better qualifying. And for my bold prediction, I'm going to go crazy with it and say both Ferraris out in Q1. Yep, that's what I said. Now, Brad's bets a review of my picks from the U.S. Grand Prix. Um, this was my first nightmare, guys. Uh, I got pretty much all of them wrong. I had George Russell ending up on the podium. That was a no max quality race win double, which was a pretty heavy favorite. That was a no, so handing out big losers there. I did have max fastest in FP1, 
but that was like minus 185. Not impressive to get something like that right. I had Valtteri to score points. Alfa Romeo was nowhere. Why did I think that all of a sudden they had turned a corner? I don't know where I got that from. I had George ahead of Lewis in qualifying. I mean, come on. I don't even know my favorite driver's uh, favorite track. It's, you know, Lewis always does well here. I just thought that George with the momentum and the odds that you could get him for was worth it, but it wasn't even close. And then I had Lewis long shot going for the fastest lap and it went to Yuki Sonoda. To be fair, that one actually wasn't that bad because Lewis did have fastest lap until Ricardo pitted for softs at the end of the race to steal it. And then his teammate then did the same. So had there not been the gaps to be able to do that, Lewis actually would have had fastest lap and that would have maybe made up for all the other L's that I gave out. But that was my first really bad weekend. I was actually on a bit of a heater leading up to that. So this week we're going to bounce back. And so is George Russell. I got him on the podium again. I'm going to try to redeem myself with this one. Um, plus 270 for a podium for George. And I do also like Lewis minus 160 for a podium. But I think what maybe is even more intriguing is if you go Lewis top two finish on bet 365 for plus 110. Um, I also think Piastri for minus 150. Um, for a top six finish is a good bet because I don't think Ferrari is going to be very competitive. I'm also going to say under 17 and a half classified drivers. So that is at least three retirements. That's for plus 155. Engines always seem to be a bit of an issue here. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like a double Haas retirement and an Alfa Romeo retirement because probably an Alpine retirement. Um, Those are just the unreliable cars of course it's the ferrari pu and then the the alpine joke team um and then on bet 365 the exclusive there i'm going with a number of race leaders being three or more for minus 120 i just think that uh red bull is going to be um really fighting with with mclaren and mercedes here specifically mercedes i was thinking of doing just two race leaders but i wouldn't be surprised to see uh maybe checo in that fight or uh like one of george or lewis staying out long and and uh trying something else so that's why i'm going to go with number of race leaders going as uh as three then my long shot is that george russell poll in my uh predictions that's plus 1600 and if you want to be a bit safer and just back mercedes on poll that's a plus 800 bet so before I wrap up here, just a reminder to check out the link tree in the description for Break Bias Question Time. That's going to do it, though, for episode 76 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back next week to review the Mexican Grand Prix in weekend number two of the triple header. Can the hometown hero eke out another performance close to that of his teammate? Either way, everyone is a Checo fan at the Mexican Grand Prix, and a win would be absolute scenes. Goodbye.